Uh, good day, everyone. It's uh, Jason Powers. Come out actually this afternoon instead of during my usual late night visit. Still a lot of traffic, of course. Actually, more traffic than normal, but uh, I'm not gonna walk on the main drive right now. So I was just thinking, uh, well, today is uh, would have been my uh, grandmother's 95th. Uh, birthday and uh, her uh, husband uh, William Clark and she was Mildred uh, would have turned 97 on Wednesday and uh, I guess in honor and respect for those that have been gone for a long time in my life I uh, published or put out to put out my uh, dossier on Hunter Biden um, I published it right around 12 o'clock uh, midnight uh, last uh, you know 20 hours ago or so 16 hours I guess should learn how to do math so uh, yeah I guess the thing I uh, try to think about when I think about my uh, departed relatives is uh, you know what their life was like and what they uh, experienced and what they were uh, here for, you know. They didn't have a, I've mentioned this before, I mentioned this pretty recently. You know, they didn't get a college education, they didn't even get a high school education. Uh, my grandfather left in the 10th grade, I think, 10th or 11th. He joined the service in 1944. Right as he turned uh, 18, uh, I think, or probably a month before or whatever. He was in boot camp. Uh, matter of fact, he, uh, he uh, managed to, uh, he actually was going through boot camp right as uh, our uh, country went to D-Day on uh, June 6th. But uh, he actually went back to uh, Illinois because <clears throat> his brother had passed away in a drowning accident is uh, brother Harold who was born on the 4th of July so he uh, you know went back and he missed his uh, missed uh, <laughs> missed the ship he was assigned to I guess he was right at the end of boot camp or whatnot and they gave him a, a 72 hour pass to go home and pay respects that kind of thing and that was a different thing back then because you know you could <clears throat> go home and uh it wasn't easy to get from he I think he did his in uh, Orlando uh, basic so it was getting ready or getting at the end of that as you know just had been he uh, joined up and just past 18 he was uh, heading off to go fight the Japs and uh, so anyways uh, yeah he managed to uh, uh, get over and go through the Panama Canal went to he wound up first going down to New Caledonia and uh, came up through a, I think he was attached to a Bull Halsey's uh, I think third fleet if I'm not mistaken if my memory serves on who was in charge of each uh, each group you know names like William Bull Halsey Admiral Spruance Admiral King obviously Chester Nimitz you know, I used to know 
much more familiar with the Pacific uh, Theater than I am the European Theater. Just, I guess, because uh, my grandfather was, you know, I uh, told a lot of war stories at that time in uh, uh, the early or mid-80s. Uh, when I spent like three years basically uh, right before he passed away in 86 on July 4th echoing his uh, his brother uh, he had been in the hospital for uh, lung cancer and seemed to be getting a little bit better and then he went into respiratory arrest but um, he uh, familiarized me with a lot of things a lot of thinking and uh, he was at the I think what they called the Marianas turkey shoot, or at least he, uh, he was attached to an LST, uh, and he was a driver or a boatswain on an L LCBP, which is a landing craft vehicle personnel, and uh, he would do this, and, you know, he just told me, you know, he had some interesting stories, of course, about the Philippines, they went through the Philippines, and then, uh, I think that was in, I think, October, 1944 so he was in that uh, battle with the Battle of the Leyte Gulf I think the uh, uh, I have to refresh my dates and stuff like that because it's been a long time since I really concentrated on it but it was at the end of the war it was uh, really that was the last uh, last gasp for the the Japanese Imperial Navy uh, due to the fact that and it wasn't due to anything that Halsey did right but uh there was a uh, battle there where uh, they just they caught the Japs uh, in a in a major um, I guess you could say uh, strategic uh, error and managed to get enough firepower on all the remaining uh, bit of the Japanese fleet and they, they scuttled it to the bottom of the bottom of the Pacific. Um, I don't know how many battleships they put down, but I think they, I think that was the last one. Was it the Yamamoto? They put, put her to, put her down. And, uh, yeah, they had Japanese, they, when they be, built battle wagons, they built battle wagons. They were like 80,000 tons. Our battleships were more like, I think the highest one was the New Jersey or the Missouri was right around 45,000 tons. Gives you a, a scale of uh, armament and uh, they had uh, I think I think the that that battle wagon uh, the Yamamoto uh, had what 18 inch guns as compared to a 16 inch gun uh, the 16 inchers that the United States uh, uh, their main uh, the newer battleships had at that time the older the older classes that were sunk at Pearl Harbor and, and uh, they were what 12 and 14 inches in some cases they only had like uh six or maybe uh six so they have twin 12 inches instead of like three 16 inches on one turret i'm getting into nuance here but it's it's always an interesting subject i used to uh i had to tell you how you know growing up i had the book jane's fighting ships and used to have all the different countries i can remember learning about the french and the also their airplanes and stuff so yeah i had uh i got i used to have all those uh those wonderful books that were published that had you know all the specs and links and uh the specs of the decks and the gun plating and all this other kind of stuff and it was interesting because it was something i could talk to my grandfather about and he was uh 
he was he was an amazing person to me of course you know at that age your your grandparents just you know they ought they they have stories and ways to tell stories you know it wasn't just about the war but it's times after the war he told me uh, he told me that this is a I, uh, a story about him and uh so him and my uh, grandmother they attended a, a white Sox game and this was i think in 1946 or 47 um when they first started dating i think it was right around that time might have been a little later but it was definitely in the uh, in the 40s in the late 40s so anyways they were at the white Sox game and uh and they were playing the the red sox and of course who who do we all know is on the boston red sox but uh, ted williams so they're sitting on the on the first base line past the dugout and i guess teddy teddy was up to bat and he hit a rope of a foul ball like a line drive and my grandfather dove over my grandmother to try to get it <laughs> it hit him in the palm of his hand and bounced off all he got was a bruise for his uh, efforts, uh, and of course, you know, <laughs> my grandmother's displeasure at what the hell, what do you, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and, and and that's the way my grandmother thought and talked too. She she was uh, quite the, uh, I don't know, I want to, I don't. She she had a, I don't know if this more later than life because I think earlier in life she might have been more positive, but we'll get into her story too. But yeah. So my grandfather, uh, you know, he, he was infatuated with Ted Williams. He loved, I mean, my grandfather played baseball. He was actually, um, uh, in a way, picked by the Brooklyn Dodgers because he, you know, when he was 17, you know, I, like I said, he, he fell, out of, uh, fell out of high school. I guess he got out. I, I, he didn't get, I forget the story behind why he decided that uh, school wasn't for him. But uh, he uh, decided to try out for the Brooklyn Dodgers and... They told him to come back, and uh, it was like, this was like the spring of 1944. So I guess he did it like in the fall of 90, uh, 1943. And he had, uh, so he tried out and done this kind of thing. And they said, well, show up here back in, you know, blah, 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 by March of 1944, and, and we'll give you a look-see. And, of course, at that time, if you think about it, a lot of, the, a lot of you know, the stars were obviously off at the war. A lot of uh, baseball players played. Uh, when I say uh, played, a lot of the baseball players that played in, in <laughs> that we would know of later on uh, were off fighting in the war. Uh, there are a couple names that I can think of. Obviously, Jackie Robinson. We've all heard of that story. He was an officer, though. So, you know, uh, being black and an officer then wasn't what it was cracked up to be, but uh, he was. And uh, Warren Spahn, he's one of the more significant ones because of his, uh, I think, his heroics and, and or his abilities in the Eastern uh, or the European front. He was, uh, I guess, I think he even got a field promotion, if I'm not mistaken, which is pretty rare. But to go from, I think he was like a sergeant and he got promoted to an officer, if I'm not mistaken. I may be wrong on that. You can fact check me later. So... Point being is, is yeah, there were, there were, uh, there was a, a dearth or a lack of, uh, of uh, talent. So, it, it, somebody like my grandfather come along and, yeah, getting getting just put into the hopper. That's all it is at that time. Is the Brooklyn Dodgers had, I think upwards of 40, uh, 40 uh, clubs, under their uh, rule, or maybe that was, uh, well, could have been them. 
uh, the Cardinals were known for that because, as it turns out, uh, they were both built by Branch Rickey getting into the weeds. Uh, in other words, he, he, he followed the idea of getting lots of young, uh, well, he liked to get mature, what he called uh, energetic men who were eagerly willing to, to do what was necessary. Mainly, he also liked to marry, too. And the reason why is because married men need stable paychecks, which means that uh, now means they also work harder to do what they need to. He didn't want flamboyant ball players. He wanted stable, mature, uh, teachable young men. That's probably why they probably had such the teams that they did. It's a different person. Like anything else, when you mold an organization, it's all about building a, a, a structure, a personality, a team. A framework a lot of people like to label that as a cult no it's not necessarily a cult doesn't mean that you can't have independent thought it just means that you need uh, need people to buy into what you're selling that's why success happens so that uh, aside from that detour let's get back to my uh, my uh, grandfather so anyways you know that was like one instance where he was at the ballpark and uh, you know he uh, he loved Ted Williams. He watched him when he could. Obviously, it was a different time frame with TV sets. It was probably more more likely to listen to on radio, at least until probably the early 50s uh, for certain TV. I think the first broadcast, well, the first broadcast was in 39, but the WGN was the first one to consistently put him on. I think it was in 1948, if I'm not mistaken. Baseball, that is. And my grandfather and my grandmother had a uh, <clears throat> had a affinity for baseball and the Cubbies. They were actually Cub fans, so that that was a rarity where they went to the White Sox Park. And they loved the horses. They used to go to Balmoral Park in Chicago, uh, Hawthorne, for those who know, a Sportsman's Park, that kind of deal. So they used to watch the horses and in better times they got to go to the park and worse times they mainly just sat home and thought about betting on horses <laughs> especially once my uh, grandparents reached the uh, well near retirement age I mean my grandfather the problem was his with his life was uh, even though he did get a he did get a pension from the mills he worked at LTV steel uh, for I think upwards of 20 some years but he took it early, and he did a lot of side work, odd jobs. So, you know, he worked, you know, bricklayer, uh, did lots of housing work, uh, uh, demolition, demo. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't somebody who built homes or developed them. He, he just never had money. That's what it boils down to. Uh, they We lived in a... Or, even in the 80s, we lived in a house that was falling to pieces because it had been built in the, the 1890s. It was never a good house. When I when I say that, it was a it was a house that was poorly built to begin with, and only got worse over time. Uh, and money was not what it needed to be. Matter of fact, uh, that was actually one of our my first instances of seeing how contractors can screw people over. Because after my grand a grandfather died in 86. My grandmother and my aunt, uh, they they had the home, ostensibly, you know, gifted to them. It stayed in their family, in their in their possession, and they worked on uh, doing renovations. And my grandmother, it was at that time, 
I think the renovation was something like $5,000 or so. It was like uh, for what they did, what they were supposed to do, and they wound up doing just an absolute shitty job. Um, I mean, just terrible. Everything they did was messed up. They screwed up the front porch. They screwed up the bathroom. They uh, did some roofing that was done poorly. Uh, (laughs) Just everything. So everything had to be redone or had to be masked over. It actually introduced more problems than anything else. Um, We also had a basement done by a separate contractor. And after they raised the house and fixed the basement and supposed to do all this stuff, the basement still leaked and uh, the sub pump didn't work right. Everything was just crap. But, you know, people will just say, well, you should have sued. It's like, yeah, suing takes time and money. (laughs) And if you don't have the right lawyer that's going to do anything and we we did get a lawyer uh, i think his name was zunica if i can remember right i only remember the name because he also he was such a shysty guy i hate to break the news to people but lawyers are shysters and uh <laughs> he also had like a card a baseball card place and the only reason why i remember that is because like during the 80s you know being a kid you know between my grandfather, he'd buy me packs of baseball cards, and I'd buy ba- packs of baseball cards, that kind of deal. And uh, he had some old cards that he had collected over time uh, from the 50s and 60s. Um, there was a few mantles in there, uh, Marischals. I uh, had, a, had a late career, Sandy Koufax, you know, Drysdale, that kind of deal, all the pitchers. He seemed to like to, he had an affinity for pitchers, even though he was an outfielder. But all the cards I can kind of remember he had were fairly old, like Necro and stuff like that. So, anyway, I took him down there to get him evaluated. And then the guy acted like he didn't know me later on. He came back like a week or two later and I said, yeah, I dropped these off, uh, you know, you know, I put it in a nice uh, binder. And he acted like he didn't know who I was. He said... I, I don't know what you're talking about, kid. And I was just very, I mean, just, I didn't know what to think. First year, yeah, as I, and I was like 13, 14 years old. First, I was like, dude, you're, you know, you're effing with me. And, <laughs> but then you're dealing with an adult. And you're dealing with the guy who's a lawyer. And he's supposed to be, <laughs> he's supposed to be a guy who's representing your grandparents. And you thought, you thought he was a good egg. And and then <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I just didn't know what to do. I was shocked. And you know what? I don't think he told me, I don't think I left him. You know, thousands of dollars. We're talking maybe, you know, maybe a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. But stealing from a kid is pretty pretty low on the totem pole of life. But I learned my lesson. Don't ever expect somebody to actually be honest with you just because you know. Hey. You know, you, you think you're 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 dealing with somebody who's on the up and up. Now, my lawyers are Hammondegg lawyers are a lot of them are pretty shysty. They'll work for anything and they'll steal from anybody. Just just my that's my two cents. <laughs> I uh, my grandfather never really had a lot of luck with uh, investments or stuff like that. They had to go a tough tough road to hoe. My grandmother, you know, her, I didn't talk about her as much, but uh, her problem, her problem started when her, uh, in her youth, uh, 
her uh, she came from a family of pretty good alcoholics when I say alcoholics I mean pretty good alcoholics <laughs> I'm just saying that they they seem to have a substantial issue with it uh, her one brother uh, Heine was uh, quite the drinker uh, and her, her her maiden name was Keppel so she was German and her other her other um, the two family names were Keppel and Nondorf and <laughs> For whatever reason, uh, there was a lot of stubbornness inside, inside her. Uh, you could never tell her she was wrong about anything. Uh, she was of the Catholic faith, which was interesting, and my uh, and my grandfather was Lutheran, uh, so uh, it kind of worked out. Uh, in her case, you know, her family had it rough. They she grew up on a farm up in Wisconsin. She uh, learned how to drive a tractor thinking her like when she was 11 12 years old she used to work on this i guess as a substantial enough uh farm they had about 30 hands or so uh at one point and you know she'd have to make breakfast for the the crew early in the morning of course early early and uh yeah she did that you know and she learned how to uh, handle a tractor and uh <laughs> To put it put it in perspective, it definitely didn't I didn't escape her. Everything she she was willing to try anything. So I can remember when I was this was just after my grandfather died, and I think it was like eighty eight. I was like fifteen or sixteen, and I I'm I'm not very mechanically inclined, mainly because I never got a training and never had any tools and didn't ever have, own own anything of uh, you know a clunker that I could just bust apart and try to put back together again. So anyway, she was out fixing, uh, or, uh, putting the start on a, a 67 Electra, Buick Electra 225. Thing was a beautiful car. It was. You know, I had the fins. It was long, you know, <laughs> weighed two tons plus. Had a, it had a, a 434 barrel, uh, you know, eight-cylinder carburetor thing. You rev that thing up, you, you knew you had an engine under it. I mean, uh, I, I, I took it out later on. Uh, and uh, got it up to about 120 miles an hour out on a uh, US 41 in Indiana thing. I mean, it purred like a kitten. I mean, it, it, at 120 miles an hour, it, 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 the engine w was still wanting more. I mean, there was plenty of room on the pedal, and and I was uh, I had it buried. I mean, I buried it past 120, so I don't know what I actually was going at, but nevertheless, uh, <laughs> I. I <laughs> got out there uh, near Kentland, Indiana, if you know where I'm talking about, uh, for those who listen to this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I did that when I was like 17 years old. But uh, yeah, that car was beautiful. So she was out there fixing the starter on it, you know, uh, <laughs> had the car up on the, the ramps and stuff like that. And just, you know, she was happy to do, she was happy to work with her hands she worked uh she did the public library she cleaned it for 20 plus years she was uh yeah she cleaned people's houses so she had some rather elitist clientele you know the former owner of the bank uh, uh the local bank uh who i worked for too i worked on his farm out in out out in buttfuck nowhere and uh but she, you know, cleaned their houses and 
I can remember the names Rugi and <clears throat> stuff like that. I'd go also mow their lawn. So it was kind of a family, <laughs> a family business. Uh, she was our, yeah, she'd go there and, you know, straighten everything up because rich people need people to clean their houses for them. And uh, she did that. She had a, a client per day, pretty much, Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturday, too. So she'd, you know, do that service. And, uh, yeah, that was the way uh, she uh, contributed. And uh, once my, oh, well, one of the things that hurt my grandfather is he, he uh, busted his collarbone when he was, like, 56 years old or around that time. And it didn't heal right. Insurance and lack thereof. <coughs> she... Uh, so she had to pick up some of the slack, and he got himself a little bit better, and uh, he stuck to the things he could do, and he'd help out and do the same thing. So, yeah, they were very, very humble, uh, just regular working uh, people. Um, my grandmother, true story, she drove around without a license for 30 years. So her last uh, driver's license was in 19, 1962, and she, uh, I didn't find this out until like 1991. <laughs> I, uh, I, one day I, I, uh, it was, I was like, I don't know why the subject came up, but my, my mom said, she says, don't you know she doesn't have a, she doesn't have a valid license. I go, what do you mean she doesn't have a valid license? I go, she's never retaken the test. She said, I took it one time. That's all I need to do. <laughs> that was my, that was my grandmother in a nutshell. She just didn't care. <laughs> she's like, I'm, I'm, if she decided that she wasn't going to do something, that was it. That was the, that was, they were, she was as stubborn as a mule <laughs> and she would kick. <laughs> she was a, she was a, she was that kind of person. She, uh, you know, and you could never win an argument with her ever on anything. Sports. I remember uh, having conversations with her and boy, what she, she would dig in. She would dig in. Oh, it was, I think some of it was just to get a rise out of me, which at that time wasn't that hard to do because I was a kid and, and then a young, young adult. So some of it was, uh, uh, banter, but boy, oh boy, when she put her, uh, when she knew she was right, she was a, stu I mean, just a stubborn person. You would never get her off her p position. Uh, <laughs> that jerk, the, I hate to say it, the, the crowd in her made her guaranteed to stick where she was. <laughs> I don't know, just saying. <laughs> uh, uh, whereas my, my grandfather, well, being a man and, he was much more, uh, he was definitely, uh, for, uh, his last name was Clark, so he's English. He's also, you know, just, I think there was, I don't remember the entire, um, I don't know if they were uh, all their breakdown. My grandmother was, uh, was more, was mostly German, but had a little, they were from, their family was from the Alsace-Lorraine area, so it was near France. So, who knows? There's a little French in there, too, I bet. And French are not known for their, uh, <laughs> known for their lack of uh, stubbornness. <laughs> They're very much in the same camp. I think it's a European thing, if you get it. You get what I'm going at. But these people were, they're salt of the earth. And I don't know what they would, if they were alive and, you know, <laughs> you know, what would you say uh, of, uh, you know, sound mind, 
they would just be utterly, they'd just be utterly dumbfounded. Well, they'd be just, just, <laughs> my grand, my my grandfather was not not known for his lack of uh, let's just say uh, very un un uh, impolite uh, responses. The word Jap came out of his mouth very quickly when it came to stories. He's like, "Yep, we taught those Japs a lesson." <laughs> lesson. He was just so. He was just so. Uh, yeah, he he did uh, he did hide it. Uh, yeah. He was uh, definitely your uh, uh, American uh, Yankee <laughs> as far as how he thought about things. And um, but no, I don't know how they 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 would. Well, they'd probably be kicking my ass with all the stupid shit I've done in my life. But uh, that goes without saying. I want to do that to my own self. Uh, I hope people understand that what's coming ahead is just going to be a lot worse than it, and than, than what we really have ever experienced. Yeah, we might have a lot of built-up houses and have some different structures and whatnot, but we just have a kleptocratic, uh, you know, uh, pathetic class of individuals that run this country, and they have no care for this this entire. They don't have any care for anything. They're just terrible human beings. I can't. I can't think of any redeeming quality that's coming out of our quote leadership class. These people are divorced of uh, sanity or principle or anything. They don't know the. They don't have the foggiest notion. I know my my grandmother and grandfather both of them would have uh well i know what they would have said about joe biden i can tell you that <laughs> they they would they 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 probably would be out in the street i know my grandmother wouldn't have any problem smacking the shit out of him that's for damn sure <laughs> she she had no she had no f's to give for anybody especially i i <laughs> this is all i did on this story so this happened. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so I came over to the library to pick her up one day. I had the car and had dropped her off, and she cleaned the library, you know, at the, later in the night. And and as I was pulling into the the local library, this was in like ninety one, ninety two. It was it was actually ninety one because she passed away in ninety two, and um, it was early ninety one because she was. She was still healthy enough. Uh, she'd be dead in a year. So anyway, I, I pull in there, and she's waiting at the back door where she's supposed to be. And and I, I notice her bag is all over. I mean, like there's crap all over the place. Her bag is open, and she's picking stuff up and putting it in the bag. She's and I pull up, and I'm and I get out, and I'm like, what the hell? What the hell did you do? She says. Oh, some guy tried to mug me, and I smacked the shit out of him with his bag. <laughs> someone, someone thought they were gonna rough her up, and she took that bag. And oh, by the way, her bag regularly had probably twenty to thirty dollars with the coinage inside of it. <laughs> she used to like, she used to save like the old. Uh, so anything that was minted before nineteen sixty four, like your quarters and whatnot 
suppose they had a, a higher concentration of silver. Don't hold me to that. She thought that, so she kept them. Anytime she saw old money, she she pilfered that. She'd switch it out and put it in her pocketbook, and she kept it there, all of it. She didn't let any of it go. I, I shit you not, when she passed away, I mean, you know, opened up her bag. I counted out her change. It was north of 50 bucks at the time. I don't remember exactly what it was, but <laughs> she had a ton of it. So, yeah, <laughs> some, some, you know, vagrant or whoever the hell it was. And they got it. I said, well, where is he? Yeah, he ran like hell when I, sm I hit him. I got it. She said, I got him the first time. And he tried to come back for more. <laughs> my grandmother just grabbed that fucking bag and smacked picture her knocking the hell out of this guy. <laughs> Trying to rip off a tough old German in the middle of the night. <laughs> the, the definition of fucking around and finding out. <laughs> oh, she was, uh, she was, uh, she was a hell of a woman. And... And she married a hell of a man, and they were both, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're the type of people that you, you wish were still here. Because I know they would have wisdom that I can't provide, and, uh, well, they definitely would, they'd definitely be very adamant, along with my mother, about the, this, this disgust. And <laughs> they were, uh, you know... They thought all politicians were scumbags. They knew they weren't of their, they weren't of their particular uh, group of people that they cared about. They always felt like they're getting pandered to. I don't think they thought voting particularly helped. They weren't activists. They were just your typical blue-collar folk that wanted to, you know, have a decent life and pay their taxes and <laughs> be left the fuck alone. Uh, I don't think that's too hard to ask him anything, but we don't have that anymore in this country. We have a bunch of weak-willed idiots that'll take any, any, any cheap parlor trick money from the government, and they'll just suck it down and and don't realize that you're just taking money from. It's your money, by the way. That's a, the greatest trick the devil ever. Uh, did was to make you think he didn't exist. Well, the government is your devil now, completely. A demon. It's headed by a demon. A demented demon. Doesn't care what he does to any of us. And they would have, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I can guarantee you they had had some words to have for him. <laughs> uh, the current, the current, uh, They'd say, that son of a bitch, he can't run, not only can he run this country, but shit, I can do a better job. And that's, that's usually the measure. Can you do a better job? And the answer is, millions of us can do a better job than this asshole. The only reason why he's there is because we have a bunch of intel people that are such, such weasels and all the agencies that are behind them and supportive of them. These people are worthless human beings that run our country. Two million federal workers. <laughs> And there probably isn't 10,000 of them that are worth a damn. The rest of them are just, you know, they aren't Americans. So most of them are just, you know, a lot of them, if you probably get down to it, they're in a, not only are they internationalists, they're just overpaid, spoiled, overeducated, over indoctrinated uh, shills and suckers for 
you know, they're just scumbags. They're just absolute scumbags. Um, I guess I'll end it there for now. Um, God bless you, Grandma and Grandpa Clark up there in heaven. And um, God bless the United States and God save the world.